RPC Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. So insurance is the invisible hand behind the technological direction of modern society. And we're asking them to do the same now that we're faced with maybe the biggest, most pressing challenge that human society has ever faced, which is climate change. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner in the law firm RPC. And in each episode, I am joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Peter Bossard and we are going to discuss climate activism and insurance. Peter has been involved in environmental and human rights issues for over 35 years. For 14 years, he was a programme director and coordinator of Burn Declaration in his native Switzerland. Then for 14 years, Peter was part of the senior management team of International Rivers in the United States, which protects rivers and defends the rights of the communities that depend upon them. Then in 2017, Peter became a director of the Sunrise Project, whose mission is to grow social movements to drive the transition away from fossil fuels towards renewable energy. And as part of that mission, Peter is the global coordinator of Insure Our Future, which is a social movement that tries to hold insurance companies to account for their role in the climate crisis, which is what we're going to discuss today. So, Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Peter. Pleasure to be here. As mentioned, uh, you've been involved in environmental activism for uh, for over 35 years. So, so I mean, what was it that first drew you to make that the focus of your life's work? <laughs> Actually, Peter, when I was a kid, uh, apparently I was good at math. And so my parents told me that, well, one day maybe you can go and work for an insurance company. And, you know, as a kid, as a teenager, I couldn't imagine that that would be a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was always an outdoors person. I've always found my inspiration in nature. We're so lucky with the beautiful and fragile planet that we've got. And so, you know, I've decided to uh, find a role in, in protecting the environment. But today I'm, I'm just happy that these two arcs insurance and protecting the environment have kind of merged together in the work that I currently do. Now, the context for this discussion is, of course, the climate crisis, the climate emergency. And at uh, COP26, it was made clear that we, we must limit global warming uh, to no more than 1.5 degree increase from pre-industrial levels, um, and that we must also secure net zero by the year 2050. Please could you explain to us where we, you know, that's the global we, we collectively as a planet, are currently placed on that journey? Yeah, well, governments already committed in 2015 in the Paris Agreement to limit global warming to well below Two degrees. Three years later, in 2018, the IPCC then published a report in which they found that any climate change beyond 1.5 degree would be very dangerous, uh, potentially unmanageable. And so 1.5 degrees became the new threshold that we should not pass. But with today's policies, if they are implemented, we are on track for 
2.7 degrees of global warming by the end of the century. And that's a recipe for disaster. In what way is it a recipe for disaster? What sort of climate events could we expect to see with a 2.7 degree increase? We are currently at 1.2 degrees of global warming. And many people have gone through a summer of hell. You know, you, you saw 30 million people in Pakistan flooded out of their homes. You saw hundreds of thousands of people flooded out of their homes in Nigeria, in Australia, in other parts of the world. We've had unprecedented heat waves where temperatures reached more than 50 degrees in South Asia, in, in, in the Middle East. We've seen droughts uh, around the world. And so we're really at the very risky stage uh, already now. And we may reach tipping points very soon where climate change would just uh, and natural disasters could spiral out of control. And those sort of trigger points are such like kind of the, the melting of Atlantic ice sheets, the Greenland ice sheets, um, permafrost melting, but, but those, those sorts of issues. That's right. But nonetheless, we have these targets um, of 1.5 degrees and net zero by 2050. What do we have to do in order to have any chance of, of hitting those targets? Well, we know the main cause of climate change is the combustion of fossil fuels. And so we immediately need to end uh, expanding the extraction of coal, oil and gas. We also need to phase out uh, the use of these fossil fuels over time quickly for coal quite quickly for oil. We have more time with gas. But in reality, the consumption of fossil fuels is still increasing. And many governments and uh, companies have massive plans for new oil and gas production. Antonio Guterres, the UN Secretary General, has called our fossil fuel addiction an insanity and collective suicide. And um, yeah, there's little I've got to add to that. Is the use of coal increasing globally? Oil and gas, I know. What's the position with coal? Is that going up or down at the moment? So the use of coal declined during the pandemic, but it's now gone up again. And the International Energy Agency uh, is concerned that it will remain at the record level through 2024. Right. OK. And... Um, this is all by way of background kind of context before we move on to insurance. But in February 2022, uh, the, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, so the, the IPCC, kind of issued one of its mammoth reports, uh, over 3,000 pages. Um, now, kind of obviously, um, I, I haven't read that, but I, I did read the summary, which is about 30 or so pages. And the, the, the final paragraph of the summary says something which has to be borne in mind and has to be in the back of our minds throughout this conversation. It says, the cumulative scientific evidence is unequivocal. Climate change is a threat to human well-being and planetary health. Any further delay in concerted anticipatory global action on adaptation and mitigation will miss a brief and rapidly closing window of opportunity to secure a livable and sustainable future for all. Now, in my notes, I've underlined three bits there. So I've underlined the word unequivocal. I've underlined the phrase concerted anticipatory global action and also 
a brief and rapidly closing window of opportunity. So now with that unequivocal warning ringing in our ears, let's start talking about insurance and the role that it can play in the, quote, concerted anticipatory global action. So first and foremost, please could you introduce us to your organization, Insure Our Future? Insure Our Future is a coalition of about 25 climate campaign groups in Europe, Asia, and the Americas, including my own, which is the Sunrise Project. And we call on the insurance industry to take the science that you have just summarized seriously and uh, accelerate the shift from fossil fuels to renewable energy. We engage insurance companies in a dialogue and we also build public pressure when necessary, when dialogue isn't sufficient. For example, every year we publish a report in which we assess and rank 30 major insurance companies on their fossil fuel and climate policies in order to encourage or create some friendly peer pressure among them. And why is it that you you started focusing on insurance? Um, because, and I suppose, when did you when did you make that change as well? Because, I mean, many would say, hang on a moment, insurers aren't producing these carbon emissions. It's the fossil fuel companies that, that are doing that. The focus should be on the fossil fuel companies rather than insurance. So, why do you? What is insure our future? Focus on insurance. Well, every industry which we target in our campaigns feels singled out. But in fact, the main focus of our networks is indeed on fossil fuel companies. That's true for the Sunrise Project, my own organization. That's true for our movement as a whole. But, you know, fossil fuel tigers won't change their stripes. And at this stage of the climate emergency, all actors need to step up. So 10 years ago, campaign groups started to follow the money, started to target banks and asset owners with calls for divestment from fossil fuels. That was fine, but didn't um, work fast enough. And so in 2017, you know, we realized insurance is also a critical pillar of the fossil fuel industry but they have warned about climate risks for almost 50 years. So they're very well aware of these risks. And so we have started a campaign to get them to accelerate this transition away from fossil fuels even more. And I I saw a a quotation from you recently, um, which I hope is genuine, (laughs) Um, which is that, that you say that insurance is the Achilles heel of the fossil fuel industry. Do you feel from a strategic perspective that you you will have greater success going against the insurers of fossil fuel companies than by going against the fossil fuel companies directly? So in other words, the insurance industry is a proxy for the the fossil fuel industry. Again, insurance companies are just one of the group of actors that we ask to, to move. We think they are very well placed to accelerate this shift uh, for a number of reasons. Insurance is essential for fossil fuel projects and companies. No new project will be built without insurance. Few companies can afford to even operate without insurance, but this independence is one-sided in that the insurance industry can very well 
do without coal. You know, premiums from coal are a small trickle as part of their revenue stream, a bit bigger, of course, for oil and gas. Insurance companies more than banks are really committed to science, are very well aware of climate risks. Many of them have made climate action part of their public brands. And so, you know, we think they should put their money where their mouth is and should follow up on their warnings and, and, and stop ensuring the expansion of fossil fuels. The insurance industry in the fossil fuel sector is also quite concentrated. We reckon that if we get 10 big reinsurance companies and 20, 25 big primary insurers to move away from fossil fuels will have a massive impact on this industry. And my understanding is that uh, Insure Our Future has uh, six demands uh, for the insurance industry. Could you could you briefly summarize those six demands for us, please? Yeah, our basic demand is that insurers need to align their business strategies with climate science, which means with a pathway which limits global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Most importantly, insurance companies need to stop underwriting any new coal, oil, and gas projects across all business lines. And secondly, they also need to phase out support for existing coal, oil, and gas production over time. So not overnight, uh, but they need to phase out existing fossil fuel operations over time. Effectively saying insurers should stop underwriting those sorts of risks. Um, Is there an element of uh, investment uh, as well, calling upon insurers not to invest in those industries as well? That's right. They should also divest from coal, oil and gas companies which don't have credible transition plans, which means, for example, they are still expanding their production. Their insurance industry's core business, of course, is underwriting. And so we think they will have the biggest impact if they stop underwriting, but they should align their businesses with 1.5 degree pathways on both sides of their balance sheet. Now, one interpretation of those demands, particularly as they relate to the underwriting side of things, you know, stopping the underwriting of the fossil fuel industry, is that you're you are asking insurers to decide which segment or segments of society should or should not be insured. Now, isn't that the job of governments? Some would say. Do you do you really want insurers to be making those kinds of socio-economic, you might even say, moral decisions? So we're not asking the insurance industry to take arbitrary decisions, but really to follow the science. Governments have created research institutions like the IPCC and the International Energy Agency, and they agree on the need to stop expanding uh, fossil fuel production. Even the UN Secretary General has called on the insurance industry to align its underwriting with the goals of the Paris Agreement. Insurance companies take pride in the scientific foundation of their work. And so they need to follow the science also on climate change. But uh, so I apologize for sort of laboring this point and making the same point in a slightly different way. But for all its faults, the fossil fuel industry is, is legal. And 
more than that it's it's an it's an industry which is heavily supported and subsidized by the governments around the world so if an industry sector is is legal and is actually supported by governments why should insurers withdraw insurance from that industry sector well why should the insurance industry i suppose you could say act contrary to the policy decisions of the governments around the world first they should do so for moral reasons. 50 years ago, when I was a kid, hospitals used to sell cigarettes in their cafeterias. It was legal after all. It's still legal, but they don't do it anymore because it undermines their primary mission. Likewise, underwriting fossil fuels contradicts the mission of the insurance industry to manage risks and to keep these risks manageable and so they should no longer do it. Insurers have always argued for social responsibility, their own social responsibility rather than strict government reg regulation. And so now they should accept this responsibility and stop insuring activities which are clearly detrimental to the public good, be it uh, fossil fuel expansion, be it, you know, cluster ammunition, a topic that we don't work on, but which we would probably also consider immoral. But finally, I think insurers also have a self-interest in phasing out fossil fuels because climate breakdown will make growing parts of the world uninsurable. We see that starting already now, you know, if you go to, to Florida, to California, and insurers have an interest in keeping climate risks manageable. If insurers were to comply with your demands, pulling out of, of underwriting and less, you know, less relevant, perhaps pulling out of, of, of investments, but pulling out of the underwriting side of things, if they pull out of all oil and gas projects, not just new ones, but his you know, current ones as well. What do you think the economic and social consequences will be for those countries that currently rely upon oil and gas and, 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 and even coal? One of the arguments against the insurance industry just withdrawing in the way in which you're asking is that it will create huge difficulties, huge problems, but of a different nature. So how do you respond to that? Again, we don't ask insurance companies to pull out from fossil fuels overnight. We are asking, in line with climate science, that they stop supporting the expansion of these destructive fuels and then to phase them out over time. And so, in essence, we are asking for a managed transition, a bold, but a managed transition away from fossil fuels. If we don't transition away from fossil fuels, the alternative will be unmanageable climate breakdown, which will have much higher costs to society than the transition that we need to engage in now will undoubtedly have. Are you saying that insurers effectively have a choice between, you'd say, the devil in the deep blue sea or Scylla and Charybdis or a rock and a hard place, which, whichever cliche you want to use? Effectively, either we go down the fossil fuel route, which creates social unrest and obviously the climate emergency as well, or we phase out oil and gas perhaps quicker than some countries could actually cope with and just accept that there will be social and economic potential catastrophe arising from that. 
I mean, it, it seems to be an impossible choice and one which is not one for insurers to make. We have delayed climate action for so long that unfortunately we've run out of easy options. But if we have to choose between a rock and a hard place, the place of unmanageable climate breakdown will undoubtedly be much harder on all of us and eventually on the insurance industry than the rock that we may have to deal with now of a bold and ambitious transition away from fossil fuels. And that brings us back to that quotation from the IPC earlier on, is that we, we have a brief and rapidly closing window of opportunity. That's right. And therefore, the concerted anticipatory global action is, is, is required. Um, you've already mentioned earlier on that, that uh, Insure Our Future has, has recently produced its latest scorecard on uh, insurance, fossil fuels and the climate emergency. Um, and as you mentioned, this scorecard scores the fossil fuel policies of, of 30 leading insurers and, and reinsurers and, and then ranks them. Um, and uh, I think this is the sixth time you've produced this scorecard. Is that right? That's right. And uh, first of all, when did you produce your, your first scorecard and what trends have you seen between then and now? We published our first scorecard in the fall of 2017. And I'm happy to say that we have seen a lot of momentum since then. By now, 41 major insurance companies have adopted coal restrictions. So within our top sample of the 30 leading companies, but also beyond that, 41. And these companies are collectively covering 62% of the reinsurance market and 39% of the insurance market. And we've come to the conclusion that new coal power plants outside China have in effect become uninsurable. Coal is a good place to start, but we can't end there. And so two years ago, we extended the scope of our campaign to also include oil and gas. We've had a slow start there, but this year we've seen significant momentum as well. We currently have 13 insurance companies with oil and gas restrictions, up from only three one year ago. And these companies include leading lights of the insurance industry like Allianz, Swiss Re, Munich Re. And so we trust that other companies will now have to follow. As always, you know, as you mentioned, we also score and rank the top 30 fossil fuel insurers in a comparative exercise. And uh, regularly, we've seen Allianz, AXA, Swiss Re, and Axis Capital at or near the top of the ranking. And um, I have to ask, because there are people who like to know these things, but how do you collate your data? Are the data obtained from uh, publicly available sources or, or from the companies themselves? Both. We have contracted Reclaim Finance, an NGO which specializes in policy analysis uh, with this scoring exercise. They have prepared a questionnaire with 26 questions and 81 sub-questions, which goes out to the 30 companies in, in spring. There is then a lot of back and forth in filling out uh, this questionnaire correctly. Uh, this year, 20 of the 30 companies have responded. That's about the average response that we get. So in those cases, the scoring is based on the company responses. 
for the companies which don't respond, we score them based on publicly available information. And do you feel, you say that 20 has sort of been the average throughout. So do you feel that insurer engagement with uh, insurer future is increasing or staying much the same as it's always been? Um, we've been encouraged from the start that the insurance industry has actually taken this seriously. And we've seen a quite a high response rate for these kind of surveys from the start. And uh, you've already mentioned companies like um, Allianz, AXA, Aviva, Swiss Re, uh, and Axis are, are, are at the top of, of the scorecard. So w- what is it that they are doing that is better than their competitors, in your opinion? So um, AXA and Axis Capital are in the top group because they have historically adopted very strong call policies with exclusions, not just for new call projects, but also for companies which are still planning the development of new coal projects. And then Allianz, Aviva, Swissry, and also Generali, they have decent coal policies as well, but they are at the top because they have now adopted serious oil and gas restrictions. They are ending support for new oil and gas extraction projects, and they have committed to start phasing out support for oil and gas companies as well, not for all oil and gas companies, but for companies which don't have credible transition plans. Um, but presumably your view is that even they could do much more. Um, so, so could you give us some specific examples of, of what else can be achieved by insurers, what, what, what they should be aspiring to achieve over the next five years, say? I mean, again, first things first, all companies need to stop underwriting the expansion of oil and gas extraction. Most have done it for coal. And then scientists tell us we need to reduce consumption of coal by 9.5% per year and oil consumption by 8.5% per year. And so insurers need to align their business plan with such pathway so that we have a chance to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. And so far, we don't quite see such ambitious plans to phase out uh, existing consumption yet. Okay. So, so there's a focus on, on the present and there's a focus on the future, which is probably the most attention is on the future, i.e. not starting new projects. That's right. But there's also on, on reducing current projects. Is that why often outside Lloyd, there will be protesters against a specific project, such as the, the East Africa pipeline, for example. Um, is that why, as, as climate activists, there is a tendency to focus on individual projects rather than necessarily uh, the, the system as a whole, let's say? I think we very much need to do both. We are spending a lot of time on policy matters. We engage on policy issues. We do research on policy issues. We prepare our recommendations on policy issues. Um, It's understandable that communities, local groups, movements, which are threatened by new fossil fuel expansion projects, that they also see our campaign as an opportunity uh, to try and stop these projects and we support them in that. And I think specific projects can also illustrate what our kind of more general concerns and demands are about. They can make it real and tangible uh, what the risks of these projects are uh, for the people directly affected by them, but then also, of course, for global society as a whole. 
Um, of course, a, a number of uh, an increasing number of of insurers uh, have joined the Net Zero Insurance Alliance, uh, which is a, a group that's been pulled together by by the UN of insurers who have committed to a transition to net zero by 2050. Um, currently contains 29 insurers, um, and hopefully that that's that's good evidence that the insurance industry is wanting to change. It's it, it's it's there are genuine commitments there and a genuine desire to change. Um, but in your scorecard, in your report, there's a whole section uh, which is entitled The Unfulfilled Promise of the Net Zero Insurance Alliance. Why do you believe that it is unfulfilled promise? And do you think that promise will eventually be fulfilled? We have seen ambitious climate actions by many of the founding members of the Net Zero Insurance Alliance, AXA, certainly uh, Allianz, Swiss Re, and others. And so we were hopeful, we welcomed the creation of the alliance. This alliance allows um, the leaders in the industry to coordinate and to discourage free riders from undermining their climate actions. But we have found that the Net Zero Insurance Alliance argues that it can't coordinate any steps because of antitrust law. And antitrust law is certainly an issue, but the NZIA has taken a stricter position on it than any other net zero bodies that we're aware of. And if they can't coordinate through such voluntary bodies, you know, then we need more mandatory regulation. Um, we still hope that the Net Zero Insurance Alliance will take as ambitious action as many of the same companies have done through the Net Zero Asset Owners Alliance. But for now, unfortunately, that hasn't happened. Yeah, you mentioned regulation there. To what extent do you liaise with regulators? We do, um, you know, often regulation lags behind uh, the leading and most forward-looking private sector companies. And so we were hoping to encourage the insurance industry to take sufficient action on their own volition. But um, I think increased strengths and regulation will be necessary. Um, one argument I've heard from uh, insurers is uh, that even the, you know, the, the the fossil fuel companies, there there are, you know, as you say, there, there are good elements and there are bad elements. But, but as an insurer, you don't get to choose. So you, you either insure the fossil fuel company or or you don't. And their preference would be to insure the fossil fuel company and assist it in its own transition attempts towards carbon neutrality. Now. I know that you're very skeptical of that argument. Um, so, so, so why? But why are you skeptical? No, by all means, insurance companies should engage their customers on the net zero transition. They should engage fossil fuel companies, but they should also engage, you know, steel producers, cement companies, other high carbon emitters. But it has to be engagement with consequences. If, as an insurance company, you have engaged. A customer in the oil industry for the past five years, and they're still expanding their production of oil, which all of them are, then you have to acknowledge that your engagement has failed and you need to escalate 
you need to start ending uh, cover for the increased extraction of oil. If, if you don't escalate, if you don't respond to inaction, then your engagement is not credible. The, the, the whole move from fossil fuels to renewable energy has obviously has two stages. The first one is leaving fossil fuels, but the, the other one is moving towards renewable energy. And I, I've, I've heard it said that at the moment, we simply don't have the technology to hit net zero by 2050, and that there is a degree of magical thinking about the transition to, to, to net zero and that whether we like it or not the world's economy the world's structure is based around fossil fuels and therefore until there is actually an ability to change to something we can't you, can, you can't get rid of fossil fuels until there is renewable energy to move to and at the moment we don't have that ability to move to renewable energies on the scale that we need to. And therefore, technologically, there is a degree of magical thinking going on. I appreciate that's not necessarily directly linked to insurance, but but what's your response to that? All the technologies that we need to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees and to reach the uh, net zero scenarios are already available. What's missing are often sufficient, well-trained professionals or maybe grid connections, or government policies, which uh, allow investors, uh, you know, a stable return. We're still governments are still subsidizing fossil fuel production instead. But all the technologies are available. Now, one thing I noticed about your report is that it, it talks a lot about the fact that insurers should pull out of fossil fuels. And there's no specific reference, or at least if there is, I missed it, so I apologise. But but I, I couldn't see any reference to the fact that insurers are already insuring renewable energy projects. So if, if insurance is an enabler of fossil fuels, it is also an enabler of renewable energy. Um, and many insurers are already doing that. And, and your organisation... Uh, is is called Insure Our Future. And that is precisely what a lot of insurers are doing. We've spoken to some on this podcast, kind of people who are involved in, in the insurance of, of renewable energy projects and are actually enabling those projects to exist and come into existence. Surely part of your campaign should be focusing on, on that as well, on, on, dare I say, it, the good news stories rather than just the bad news stories. That's right. And in fact, we just published a separate report on insurance for clean energy. And we found that after a wobbly start, most insurance companies are nowadays keen to underwrite more renewable energy projects and that insurance is not one of the bottlenecks for the expansion of renewable energy. And so that's the good news. It's not news which the media are particularly keen in, in covering, but you know, we've done our homework, we looked for things that the insurance industry could do more, and it seems overall the insurance industry is on good track there. But with all the renewable energy investments in the world, if we don't also reduce fossil fuel consumption at the same time and quickly, we'll be fried. So uh, it's a good news story, but it doesn't 
you know, we can't take our eyes off the price, which is moving away from fossil fuels as quickly as possible. Uh, once again, I appreciate this is 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 less less directly relevant, but it, it fascinates me that Ensure Our Future has pinpointed insurance as, to use your words, the Achilles heel of, of the fossil fuel industry. Because actually on, on a philosophical level, I think it just shows how much insurance underpins everything. And in, in my mind, I, I thought, oh, that's quite clever. And I, and I think activists such as yourself almost have an understanding of insurance as an enabler of the modern world, almost better than some insurers do. I'm not sure if you want to respond to that, or that's really just an observation. But it's almost as though you had seen something that the insurance industry hasn't necessarily seen itself. It was 100 years ago when Henry Ford pointed at the skyline of Manhattan, which I understand was pretty impressive already then, and said, look at all these high rises. None of this would exist without insurance. So insurance is the invisible hand behind the technological direction of modern society. And insurance is not just essential for getting the bricks and mortars off the ground, but from the start, the insurance industry has already also worked for better fire codes and other you know, mitigation measures to keep risks manageable. And we're asking them to do the same now that we're faced with maybe the biggest, uh, most pressing challenge that uh, human society has ever faced, which is climate change. And in that context, in the context of climate change, do you see insurers as part of the problem? Or as part of the solution? Insurance companies were the first businesses to warn about climate risks 50 years ago. I was involved in my first climate action campaign in Switzerland 30 years ago. And already then, insurance companies were the only voices outside of the scientists which were warning about climate risks. And so definitely, we see them as our allies. We would like to see them as part of the solution. Several companies have taken ambitious steps and we consider them allies, but you know, others still have a long way to go as long as they still underwrite the expansion of fossil fuels. They are, of course, still part of the problem. And to conclude, Peter, um, if you were in a lift with the CEOs of the top 30 insurers, um, apart from the fact that it would be very crowded, um, and, and you had just just a minute to talk to them as it was going from the, the 20th floor down, down to the ground floor, what would you say? What, what would be your message to those CEOs of the top 30 insurance companies? Yeah, if I could have your attention quickly, we are currently at 1.2 degrees of global warming, and already in places, the climate crisis is becoming unmanageable. Climate change is the biggest crisis which our planet and the insurance industry are facing. And business as usual is simply no longer an option. So you need to make it your personal mission to take urgent action and shift away from fossil fuels. And if you do, you will leave a legacy which your future employees and customers will be proud of. And your kids and grandkids will be proud of you as well. Thank you, Peter. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. RPC Radio. Radio. 
Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered, which is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will also love our other podcasts, Taxing Matters and Money Covered, plus The Fix, which is co-hosted by my colleague Kelly Thompson. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day.